Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? What's up, man? My friend, Sean, and, and loyal listener of the podcast, let me know right before we were recording today. Today is the first day in sports history that we've had NFL, NBA, NHL, MLS, WNBA, college football, and U.S. Open all on the same day. How about that? I actually didn't, I didn't realize it was that many sports. I knew it was a big sports day. I saw some tweets about it, but Everything. you just listed off like eight. I know. I actually added a few that weren't in the original in the original tweet because I just realized <laughs> that was happening as well. It's wild. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it feels good, man. I'm not gonna lie. Like having the NFL back, especially, which is the the kind of king of them all. Um, Especially because, like, the NFL, like, even though preseason doesn't matter, at least indicates something's happening. And we didn't get preseason. We didn't get full OTAs and training camps. Like, hard knocks was the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. And so, like, it almost wasn't going to happen until it happened. Um, but yeah, tonight, it kind of just know, started. You just yeah. kind of like, all right, we're, we're going ahead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, they just started coming onto the field and playing football. Um, that should be noted. One thing they did before they played football was stand for racial unity. And of course we're booed by the 20,000 faithful in Arrowhead stadium showing again, why there are a lot of places in this country that's fucking suck. It was uh, a crazy scene, man, because Patrick Mahomes, you saw it like he, like he put his head down for, you know, the moment of silence, and then he heard the booze, and he's looking around everywhere, like, "What the yeah. hell are these guys doing?" So it was not definitely not a good look. Yeah, and I don't know if it's only Kansas City. Like, obviously, Kansas City seems like a place that would be more susceptible to that, but I feel like a lot of arenas in the league, a lot of cities, you'd have yeah. this kind of reaction. I was actually going to say I've been known to be unfairly prejudiced against places for acting a certain way, but it's people everywhere that are going to do this, right? Um, it could happen in New York City. It could happen in San Francisco. It could happen in Chicago. It's gonna. It's going to be some amount of booze. Um, and frankly, I think there's only two teams in the whole league that are actually going to have fans uh, to start the season. I think it's the Chiefs and the Cowboys. Um, I think there's five. Five. Total. Oh, there's five. Okay. Yeah. There's probably. Yeah, I don't know the full list, but I imagine that those stadiums, wherever they are, will all receive some form of reaction based on what the players do. Yep. It's just disappointing, right? Because you, you essentially, you know, the NBA was always thought to be in its own echo chamber. So if you hated the NBA, it's okay. But the NFL is like the crown jewel of them all. So if you have yeah. to hit the NFL too, you're going to be really like slim pickings because baseball <laughs> already knelt. Um, you know, they already protested after the Bucks did. Um, obviously, we've seen st similar activities in soccer and tennis. Uh, so it's just you and golf, basically, at that point. That's all you have. You know, it's it's an interesting point because the people who say, you know, who want to you know, boycott the NBA, boycott the NFL, boycott media, different media channels, right? You're like, you don't want CNN, fine, but you're not going to watch Fox News also. It's like, so what are you going to do? You're not going to consume anything? Like, you're just going to live out in your barn? and No, like, primary reporting. You're going to be on the ground <laughs> identifying the stories it's for like, yourself. At some point, like, you can't, you're not going to eat at these fast food restaurants. You're not going to buy from these brands. What are you going to do? You're like, it, anyways. You I'm going off on a tangent, but it's just funny. Like, you can only cancel so San Francisco to see the sky, and then you come back somewhere else, and it's that's just how you have to live. You have to find out for everything for yourself. This is some QAnon shit right now. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about the actual game before we move to basketball. So everybody all offseason was just 
going fucking bananas over the Chiefs. But the fact that they added Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they basically lost no one. Obviously, Mahomes is, you know, 24, 25 and coming off the Super Bowl and yada, yada, yada. And it's almost like there's so much hype. There could have been a sense of they may not be able to meet it, but everyone was uh, dead right, needless to say. Um, The running game was just, I mean, he's probably good because he was good in college, but it's also not hard to run when they have to play five defensive backs to guard all the speed on the field. So I don't know what you're supposed to do to guard this team, frankly. Uh, it's yeah. I had my fantasy draft yesterday. Um, I didn't want to touch Clyde uh, Edwards Lair because I took Damian Williams last year. I paid too much for him in my auction draft Yeah, and he burned me and it's like, ah, oh, I don't trust this rookie. But then you forget, like, like you said, with that offense, <laughs> there's just so many weapons on the field. It's like paper yeah. poison. And so, well, I have Tyreek Hill, and it's the same thing, right? Well, he only got thrown to five times, but they were rolling, so they didn't really need to. Yeah, and but all those guys cashed out, like every single big fantasy guy, yeah. Kelsey, Hill, uh, CEH, Mahomes. and then Mahomes. They all and Watkins, out. who's always good for three of those Watkins a year. And Watkins a touchdown. So it's like that offense is always going to generate points. It's, um, and, and a lot of people did think that the Chiefs would not only benefit from the continuity that you talked about, but – the fact that when there's no training camp or, pre- yeah. or no proper training camp in preseason, the the teams with a stable kind of you know roster from the year before are going to do better. Yeah, I mean, you look at the other side, right? Watson's dealing with two new receivers in Cooks and uh, Cobb, basically a third new receiver in Will Fuller, who plays so <laughs> infrequently that he might as well be new to the team every offseason. And then a new running back in, in David Johnson, who actually looked really good, but no. It's also not easy. Like to football is such a scheme play based, like specificity based game that it's very hard to get to that level of precision after, I don't know, what are they basically four weeks, five weeks, and then mm-hmm. they have to be on the field. So, um, and within those five weeks, there was very little hitting, not a lot of pads. And so it was kind of predictably flat. Um, and maybe that's the way we'll see things trend. Um, like your team, for example, the Bucks have, some familiar faces, but a big portion of that offense is going to be brand new. Um, yep. So what do they come out looking like? Like, I know Brady's done his COVID workouts and stuff, but like, what does that look like when you're throwing a Gronk? Now you're handing off to Fournette. You're trying to get Godwin and everyone else involved. So yeah, game we'll speed see. is completely different. It's easy to connect with these guys in like a training camp with no pads. Yeah. But um, it'll, it'll be a slow start. I think for a lot of these teams. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I would add about tonight is I was thinking about um, like the Texans. Part of the reason they gave up on Hopkins, aside from wanting a contract, is they wanted to pay Tunsil and like fortify the line. And he looked okay, but Watson was also like under siege half the game. (laughs) Um, And it's like you you didn't fix the defense because they gave up 30-something. Maybe that's almost a good performance for the Chiefs. But then the O-line, Watson's still kind of running for his life half the time. So – Everyone crushes Bill O'Brien. I think he's absolutely underrated as a coach, but um, I don't know. I mean, Watson obviously is going to be there for the foreseeable future, but I don't really know how they build up from what they've done in years past at this point. It's the same. They're running back the same kind of team and the same problems. Like, obviously, there's some new faces in there, but they had the same clock management issues. They had the same um, 
Uh, they're running it a lot when they were down, which didn't make any sense when you know they weren't playing with a sense of urgency. This is all the same stuff we've seen the last couple of years, and yeah. like you said, Watson running for his life. So I don't, I don't buy into Bill O'Brien. I think he's at, at the very least he should not be making all these personal yeah. decisions. Yeah, but it's like it, Tom Thibodeau, right? When he was trying to yeah. do it all, he was fucking it, up every GM decision and like trying to manage that as a coach. Yeah, um, that's a good. Comparison, yeah. You know who the real comparison is, and. Excuse me for this wonderful segue. Deshaun Watson might be Giannis. Um, Interesting. One man band, kind of a capped out team. He's he's locked in for a few years, and what was originally title aspirations, you got to wonder what's the future hold in Milwaukee. So Giannis came out immediately and talked about how it was that quote. He doesn't. If there's a wall in front of him, he wants to plow right through it. You know, yeah, we saw that an effective purpose. We saw it. Exactly it was a very interesting that. analogy, considering yeah. uh, what he it's just like, did. Yeah, dude, that's what led to your four offensive fouls a game. <laughs> and um, so I don't know. He's saying all the right things, and this has a little bit of a different feel than if it's a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis, where there's clearly like um, something's got to be done or they're gone. Uh, but at the same time, I. Uh, what do you do for Milwaukee, right? So Giannis, he's indicating he wants to stay. and But he indicating he wants to win a championship. And he, he said he's going to sit down with uh, you know, the GM and, and talk through what they're going to do. But if you're Milwaukee, do you, you have one year. Do mm-hmm. you take a risk and blow it all up and try to come up with a completely new formula and see if that works? Or do you just run it back and hope that that's good enough? You can't run it back. Uh, two things you cannot do is you cannot run it back and you cannot trade Giannis in, under any circumstances. I don't care if he walks out for nothing. You'll never, ever get a player like him. And let's just admit, like, if you trade him a year early, your fan base will also mutiny faster than you could even, like, get them to buy tickets to that new stadium. No world in which they trade Giannis. Um, that being said... How do they work around a team that's primary salaries are tied up into the two guys they can't leave, Giannis and Chris Middleton? Because if you're trading Middleton, then you're not really going that many that many steps forward, right? He's too good to be thought of as an afterthought, but he's also not good enough to bring in some crazy different type of talent that's suddenly going to change the trajectory of your team or the ceiling of your team. The problem with structuring deals for, let's say, Chris Paul is you basically have to gut your team of contracts to even match the 41 million that he makes. That that includes the fact that OKC may not want your scraps, right? They don't necessarily want three more years of Brooke Lopez or four more years of Eric Bledsoe, which are the kind of deals you'd need to add up, Ursan Ilyasova. So I think they have to make a move and they have the salaries to get up to a big deal. They got to figure out who fits with what the style they play. Like one thing we know is that Giannis cannot be a late game shot creator at this stage of his career. And I don't expect him to magically develop that next year because it's not just developing it in the way like, you know, mid tier stars can do it. If you're really trying to win the ship, you need him to have Kawhi and KD and LeBron level ability to do that, which let's be honest, it's not coming in a season. So, who can you get? Like Paul is obviously a great player that fits this mold because he can play off ball, right? He's an excellent shooter. He's obviously clutch. He's like a team leader. We saw the effect he had on OKC. Imagine what he would do to a team that's already so good. But 
you know, Paul's had his share of late game fiascos, including game seven that we recorded during last week. Is he the guy? Like, if they have him, do they beat Miami? Probably. But does it mean that they're going to beat the Lakers or Clippers this season? I don't know. I don't really think so. And I was always enamored with the 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 level of history they've been making the last two seasons. And we've talked about it, but I just didn't see this happening this early. I thought they were going to at least make the finals, frankly. I'm pretty surprised that it happened when it did, even though Miami played them well in the regular season. I just thought it was noise. Um, I don't know. I can't think of other guys who would fit that mold that are also available, right? You can't go get Devin Booker for freaking like Robin Lopez and Eric Bledsoe. Like you have to be realistic on who's actually available. Could you get Bradley Beal? Maybe, but the I mean, the, the, pro- the fundamental problem is if you're going for Chris Paul, your gut, like you said, you're gutting your team, and then if it doesn't work for that one year, you're left in a really shitty situation um, because you got Chris Paul's contract. Maybe you've given up picks. I don't know what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to give up picks. To, they're going to have to give up picks, picks, right? And so then if you fail, if you go all in on Chris Paul and fail. Then who's to say Giannis isn't going to leave? Because now that infrastructure is gone, there's no like contending team for the next couple of years. Yeah. Or do you try to make moves around the edges, hope that that's good enough, and keep a team that at least can compete for two to three years and pray that Giannis will sign next offseason? So uh, it, it's a difficult dilemma, right? Because I think teams are hesitant to just blow it up because if you blow it up and then that doesn't work, then it's like definitely he's gone. But you There's can't no see you can't play scared. This is kind of what Cleveland tried to do in 09 and even what the Thunder did in 16, right before the departures of LeBron and Durant. It was the same thing where they're like, we can't screw up our core. We need to make sure that we keep our high floor. But we already saw what their high floor gets them. It gets them historic regular seasons and total flameouts in the playoffs. They lost a round later last year but they lost for basically the same exact reasons the raptors formed a wall and Giannis didn't know how to get around it or through it the other guys didn't make shots consistently enough they couldn't defend at the level that they were defending in the regular season so i guess like you yes you could fire bud i honestly expect that bud should be fired um frankly despite winning coach of the year last year and being on another historic pace this year it's just not a playoff coach he doesn't make adjustments he doesn't know how to like tit for tat type tactics like that is very evident um but i don't think you can go into next season with chris middleton being your second best player yeah so i mean i agree with you i don't think that that's approach is going to work but i think like you said most teams go with that approach let's just change things around the edges yeah Kawhi and the raptors is the only kind of recent example i can think of where they're like we've hit a ceiling let's go all in on this one guy with heavy risk and see if it works out. And it worked out for them. But most of these teams won't take that. I mean, there's already talk about Bud returning. There's already uh, saying that he's likely to keep his job. So clearly they're not willing to take the risk of firing the coach. So why? Yeah. what makes you think they're going to completely overhaul everything else? So I, that's the worry. Like I think if you're Milwaukee, you have to do something drastic and show Giannis that you're committed to doing whatever it takes. But I don't Dude, know if they're going to do outside the of the salary cap hell. Oh. Fuck the salary cap hell. You're never going to ever have a guy like this. Yeah. He, he's 25 and two-time MVP and DPOI. You'll never, ever play with a guy like this. And I say that in loose terms because obviously they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at one point, but that was also like 
50 years ago. So, okay, <laughs> next guy's coming in 50 years. So in 2070, yeah. when your team looks tight because you finally got another stud, then you could be happy. But yeah. the, the thing that, like, Cleveland learned with LeBron between the first run and the second is they were willing to write blank checks in the second run in a way that they weren't in the first. Now, some of those, like you said, put them in solid cap hell and maybe it wouldn't have been worth it if they hadn't won in 2016. Then you're stuck with J.R. Smith. You're stuck with Kyle Korver. You're stuck with all this shit. But at some point, you just got to be like, look, if we can get to the finals and we can actually compete for a title in a way that we haven't previously, that's all you can set yourself up for as a team. Yeah. Like, like I told you, either the Bucks, Clippers, or Lakers, two of those three are not going to win the title this year. And it's going to be a failure for two of those three. That doesn't mean they shouldn't have done the moves that they had done to get to that point. Now, the Bucks falling even shorter of that means that it's a whole nother controversy. If they had lost in the finals, I don't think we'd even like bat an eye about this potential situation. Um, but, you know, for the people saying trade Giannis now so they don't lose him for nothing, I think that's yeah. flat out idiotic. No, it's dumb. You got to go go down with the ship yeah. <laughs> you just gotta and hope and pray for the best like that's yeah. and if it doesn't work out you you know at, at least if you've made some moves and tried i think you'll be you'll live with that as any yeah. gm but if they're out here like trading for like a karis levert type i mean no, no, yeah it's not or like, spencer dinwiddie or something like unless you're trading be... Giannis for like and this would never happen right but if, unless you're trading him one on like one for one for like luca or something which those trades never happen, then it's not worth it. it you might as well just chest your life, especially since you're Milwaukee. If you're LA this. or something, it's different. Rasillo and Simmons did this gimmick, but let me just, I just came up with one. But let's say Milwaukee calls New Orleans and says, we'll give you Giannis for Zion and Ingram. Sign and trade. New Orleans probably says no. You think so? No way. Actually, after this year, no. Maybe at the beginning of the season, they'd say no. After the next nugget that um, Zion eats, it's a definite <laughs> yes. There's no chance. I mean, you do lose Ingram, who's also an all-star, but Giannis is better than both of them combined. Yeah, but they're high on Zion, man. I mean, like, I know Zion has his fair share of issues, but... He also averaged, like, 25 a game as a rookie in, like, 10 minutes per and game. And Brandon Ingram has become, a, like, a star. Like, I don't know. Like, both... And he's still very young. So, both yeah. those guys as your core is not... So it's not a crazy trade if you're saying that New Orleans says no. It, I think they should say yes, but I can see the logic behind them saying no. And then I, Milwaukee I don't think they gets to reset the clock around a new face of the league. And then they just keep doing that every seven years as, they're, as they continually fail and then they have to trade their like aging star. <laughs> it would be an interesting strategy. But you just don't see talent like those kinds of trades. Someone always goes for... No. quarters on the dollar like a demarcus cousins perfect example like, yeah. yeah would we have loved to trade him for another star sure but it never works that way the jimmy butler to minnesota trade um and even the one to philly those were both 50 cents on the dollar yeah it's always it's always like that they're in a tough position because ultimately they're so capped and it's not that they're not willing to pay the tax but they haven't yet so you know they let brogdon leave and now it's like one year. It's like, okay, yeah, we can go make a panic trade, but it guarantees us nothing, and we've ran out of our chips, right? Yeah. We talked about this back in March when we said how important the pandemic was to like possibly be erasing one of the two years left for Milwaukee, and they managed to erase it themselves. But <laughs> yeah. that's why. I mean, this is why it was so important. 
Yeah, I, it'll be. Um, and I hate to be a Bucks fan right now because the amount of you know Giannis to this city, everyone's already penciling in Giannis to go somewhere else, and you're gonna have to deal with that for the next year and the uncertainty of you know, if little things go wrong, he's gone. Like it needs to, things need to go well for him to stay. So that's the nice thing about having untradeable contracts like John Wall on your team. You can always count on them <laughs> year after year to be in a Wizards jersey. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, let's talk about the one series that's still very competitive. Um, and I think the one that's not that we don't know the winner of the other two in the West. I mean, we, we know what we know. I'm writing those in pen. Um, but Toronto, Boston, uh, I want to talk about the series overall and then game six. Game six kind of embodied the series in a way that it was absolute fucking mayhem. Um, obviously. We don't need to blow any more smoke up Stevens or Nick Nurse, mm-hmm. but two of the best coaches in the game. Um, a ton of young talent across the board. Really, really hard, well-disciplined defense being played. And it feels like Boston's the better team, yet here we are going to a Game 7. Boston, I think, clearly looks like the better team. I mean, the, the couple of games they won were blowouts. They gave up that one close game in OG and Anobi. They also gave up another close one with in game six. Uh, but I think that this is, this is the resilience of that Toronto team. This is what a well-coached uh, team. And we've always talked about Toronto having a high floor um, and they, they just don't beat themselves. And they, it's, this series could have been easily a five game series if OG and Anobi did not hit that three. So yeah. if I'm a Boston fan, it's, it's definitely a missed opportunity, but I, my biggest takeaway from the series is simply you're kind of learning a little bit about the individual players. So like you learning a little bit about Siakam, who we already started to see his warts, but his real limitations as being that number one guy and how, uh, you know, Kyle, how valuable Kyle Lowry is in, in this playoff environment. And on the flip side with the Celtics, you're seeing Kemba who, you know, he had his big moments, but he also in the last game disappeared uh, Jalen Brown's had some great games, but he yeah. you know, some of these guys have been up and down as well. So you're seeing some of the challenges with, with them. And I don't know. I think at this point, it's really a toss-up for Game 7. I don't know what to expect. I still think Boston wins just on talent, yeah. but um, well, know, this is everyone expected the, this to be a tight series, and it is. This is where the neutral site has kind of helped both teams, right? If Boston had really gone up 2-0 in Toronto, it wouldn't have come back to Toronto for Game 5. It would have been a sweep, right? Similarly, they're able to come back because, you know, they're not playing anywhere. And then now game seven, which would be in Toronto with that crazy ass fan base, Jurassic Park, all that stuff going on. Boston would have likely lost. And now because it's, you know, again, in Orlando, anything can happen. I think I think the Siakam point is, you know, we were probably too quick to crown him. Um, He came out of the gates blazing this season. I think he was averaging like 25 or 26 at the all star break. Um looked like a total beast on both ends. And everyone was kind of shocked for good reason. It's like not only are you using production upticking, but taking the mantle as the number one guy means you get the number one defender every time. It's not just about scoring more. It's about scoring more against better competition. And so he did tail off at the end of the year, but he's kind of went into the tank a little bit in this series. the, The wings on Boston are too big and too strong to really have him be able to assert his physical dominance. And he just doesn't have any like moves yet. You know what I mean? 
it's spin, almost like he's got like the spin he tries, but like it's he's already it's, made up his mind as he's going up, and it's it's the Giannis light situation actually. Yeah. Um, and I'm not comparing Giannis is much greater, and we're dumping on him far too much, but it's a very similar situation. It's like when you have formidable defenders, what's your what's your counter move, right? And he doesn't have one, and so what we're seeing is basically him taking terrible shots. He's shooting freaking 13% from three. Um, you know, him basically kind of being lost on defense, trying to guard Tatum and Brown. Um, and Lowry, who three years ago was considered an afterthought in the league, basically, who made the all-star team because they won a lot of games but flamed out every year against LeBron, is now like a surefire Hall of Famer after what he's done <laughs> the last two seasons. So, and, and look, Lowry is just huge balls, right? Like, even normal Norman Powell was looking just ready yeah, to go. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, on the Boston side, I think I'm honestly most impressed with Marcus Smart over everyone else. I think you look at the like leading scores and all that. It's like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker. But like you said, they've all been inconsistent to a point that's cost them games. Um, in game six, it was actually all three in a sense. Like Kemba was cold as hell down the stretch. Tatum was being very passive and Jalen was missing everything after he started was, hot. And then, yeah, exactly. And so if you can't get your three guys to play well um, at the same time, then it's struggle to score. And the thing about Boston, the irony is that the reason why they were favored in this series after they got off to a good start is like, it's hard for at least two of those three to not yeah. play well. Yeah. And you have so much, um, so much like of buffer. Um, and this is where you probably miss Gordon Hayward, too, who could have, again, been another line of defense. And um, I don't know. I think Toronto's going to win, man. I think really? game seven, you think about the fact that they've had experience last year versus Philly this exact round. They had experience versus Milwaukee down 2-0 versus Golden State. They were down. They were down in this series. Like This team has too much experience that I don't think that Boston can match. In the sense that Boston can't match success in those experiences. They've lost a game seven in Cleveland. But Kemba Walker has never made it past round one except for this year. So what's he going to bring to the table from that perspective? So, they, I mean, they've been in big moments, right? I, Kemba, maybe not. But the rest of that team, they've been in the conference finals like three of the last four years. No, um, not uh, Hold on a second. Oh, no. If he made it this year, it'd be three out of four years. Maybe. No, no, no. But it's Tatum made it. Tatum and Brown made it. Two years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. The other iteration was... Marcus Smart was on that team, but he was yeah, basically they, the only one. They got some guys. They got, and Brad Stevens has been there. I I actually picked Raptors in seven originally, so maybe I should stick with that. But um, I, I just think I like picking talent in in a game seven. And I, I just think, they, like you said, it's hard to keep all those guys down. And Marcus, I want to talk about Marcus Smart because he was obviously very good at Oklahoma State. Yeah. Um. And he was a hyped, you know, in the in the draft. He had his shooting issues, but was known as being an all-around yeah, play. Yeah, triple-double you know, kind of Triple-double kind of guy and playing defense. And he, Marcus Smart has always been like, uh, he'd always flash. But I think this is the first time in his career you're seeing he's consistently, the series, been really good on both ends. And yeah. that three-point shot, while it's streaky... It, it comes in flurries sometimes, and it, that makes a huge difference. Like considering that he's never going to be like an elite shooter, but yeah. if he could do that, like that, um, I don't know. I've been really impressed with with his entire series. His flopping has gotten to another, like the flopping in this entire series. It's just 
it's really <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but outside of that, like I he's finally lived up to like the potential. Um I, I saw a funny uh you know the Spider Man meme where they're pointing at each other? Yeah. It was that, but it was like they're both, both of them were tipped over and it was like <laughs> Kyle Lowry and, and Marcus Smart this series. No, I think Smart I agree. He's taken an offensive burden that he hasn't really been able to show that he can sustain. Um, he's obviously always been the emotional and like locker room leader of the team. But I think this is all about Jason Tatum. He's got the ceiling of anybody on the court that's real superstar MVP level. What I want him to do is I want him to seek out those switches. Right now when he's getting switched down Van Vliet and Lowry, he's not doing anything differently than if he was getting guarded by Ananobi and Siakam. And his numbers are are good, right? He's 24 and 10 and five assists, but there's too many big moments where he's not making the right play. And that's fine. He's a young guy. But what I, I almost think he should watch last year's Clippers Warriors series when it was the 1-8. And I think it was tied at 2-2 and all the Clippers started talking trash because Lou Williams and Pat Beverly were guarding KD, if you remember, on a lot of those switches. Yeah. And they were like, oh, did you guys figure out how to guard him, blah, blah, blah. And then KD just eviscerated them and then went on to do the same the next series before hurting his Achilles. And I think... Tatum has the kind of length and where he gets off his shot. Nobody should be bothering that shot, really, No. aside from like a Siakam. And so if he's got Van Bleed and Kalari, you should be able to get to your spot and just rise up. It's the same thing we saw with Jamal Murray, where I think it finally clicked with him in that Utah series. Now, Jamal Murray's not as talented as Jason Tatum, fine. But it finally clicked with him that, look, he can get his over the Utah defenders, and he was going to become that, that just – go-to guy on offense. And Tatum is still, he's, yeah, like you said, his numbers are good, but he still plays kind of passive. And I see sometimes deferring to Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart is out there like taking big shots. He needs to kind of take that mantle, especially late in the game when everyone's gassed. You're not going to be able to run your sets. You're not going to get clean looks. That's when you're the most talented player on the floor. You have to like step up and make those shots. Right. Because that's something Toronto doesn't have. And so that's an advantage you have to exploit. So, I mean, he might do it in game seven. Like he had a big, did he? Play, I think he played well in the game seven against Cleveland that one year. Yeah, I mean that was like, the famous showed like, up, dunk right? on LeBron and all yeah. That. So I mean, uh, we'll see how he plays, but I agree. I think he really. I think he's going to step up. I think he. I don't think he shies away from the moment. I think there's a sense of like trying to get everyone involved, making sure he's not forcing the issue, especially because he kicked out a lot of these problems with his game last year when he was taking yep. a bunch of bad twos unfortunately the playoffs is made up of a collection of bad twos that's basically yep. how you win either you sink all of them like Kawhi, or you go home like Giannis. and i think that's basically the way the game is like i was watching houston la today right and houston is so afraid of taking twos that they'll p- pass up open shots to then get back into the rotation of ball movement to then get a worse shot uh, than they had originally. And I know that's their style. They're intentionally doing it, but it's not going to work because the defense in the playoffs is very much intended to give you shots you don't want to take. The fact that you're able to meet, make them is what will dictate wins and losses. If you're only going from the three-point line to the paint, there's only so many paths you can draw out, right? They're right. all kind of going in the same spot and crossing right. over the the mid-range. And it's gotten to the point where I know we're not going to talk about that series, but it's gotten to the point where that pattern becomes very predictable. Like you said, the drive, push it back out, rotating. 
And then defenses at a certain point, like you get used to that in the seven game series and the yeah. rotations become like game one, you might struggle because you're not used to this play style, but it becomes kind of second nature <coughs> and yep. very predictable to kind of rotate. And Lakers have gotten so good at that, that Houston now, like they, at least in the first half, I don't know what they ended up on, but they couldn't take any threes. Like their yeah, three point attempts were so low. And so yeah. they were taking these bad shots in the paint because they would not settle for anything else. So, this is, uh, yeah, it's a problem all these teams face. Even Milwaukee, although Milwaukee has Chris Middleton who will shoot um, mid range, their team is still built on that kind of Giannis and then kick out, kick and drive kind of game, and yeah, it really gets exposed in the playoffs. So quickly on Houston because I do want to talk about them. Um, that series is done. I think they won Game One, and you know the LA lost Game One to Portland too, and it was the same kind of like. Panic cycle in a sense, not quite the same. Not for Portland everyone. Don't look at me. I, well, Portland had come out as like the team of the bubble, and Houston, I think everyone kind of hates, so they're willing to say yeah. that it was a fluke. But the problem, I was thinking about this, right? Like, you made such a good point where it's there's only so many routes you can. It's almost like route optimization in a way. Yeah. Like, you can't cover everything if there's you're using more of the space. But if you're only using certain stops along the way, then it's very easy to make all those. Not to mention, once you break through that, it's not like these guys are Tony Parker-esque with like the 15, 10-foot floater. They have to get all the way to the cup. And meanwhile, you have Anthony Davis, first-team all-defense standing there. So this isn't working for them offensively. The Lakers have dialed it up even further than they did in the regular season defensively. But more so, the bigger issue I think that, that Houston is having on offense is is Russell Westbrook. And it's not just because Russell Westbrook is missing shots and can't make a jumper. It's that when they were dominating post Capella trade, it's because the lanes were cleared and Westbrook was, was driving to the basket, right? The he's not making the, the most likely the big man on the other team isn't making them pay for playing that way. But when he misses those shots, Davis no longer has to like be five out. He can still kind of stay near the paint because they're just going to give him that look. Meanwhile, at the other end, nobody can guard Davis. Yep. And so this is a situation where, like, the irony is if you just replaced Russell Westbrook with Chris Paul, this would be a totally different series because yeah. Chris Paul can knock down every single one of those jumpers. And it, it, Houston yeah. takes a bunch of threes, but they're not good at threes. And so when your volume is down and your efficiency was already poor, you're dead in the water. I mean, the hatred for Houston blinded the fact of just how really good they were when you pushed the KD Warriors to seven. Yeah. And uh, Chris Paul really was, it's so funny because we're going back, Chris Paul really was the perfect fit for that team. And uh, I think they just that got unlucky. Hard, I think they Harden for asked for it. Hmm? I think Harden asked for that. For what? For Paul to be traded. Oh, obviously. Like, I mean... I. I don't know if he they, – I mean, they never had beef beef, but I think Harden was like, look, we need to do something different. And then they realized they could get Westbrook, and obviously that's what he wanted. But but I don't think Maury would have acquired Westbrook if he had like a clean slate. His no, obviously not. No, Westbrook is Harden's boy, right? They're boys, yeah. so that, that's different. Um, and and Paul's deal was so big that like the only players you could trade for him were like Curry, Westbrook, Wall, and yeah. Harden, the guys that were on the Supermaxes. Exactly. So, I mean, it worked out in the sense that – um, but I don't know if if you're a Houston, like Daryl Morey, I heard, or I heard Dan Tony's job is safe next year. 
but, if but I'm he's just... a he's a free agent, so they'd have to give him a new contract. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. But I heard that they're interested in like bringing him back, right? And I, at this point, I think if you're Maury, you got to just try something different. Like for a guy who's as smart as Maury and like driven, like clearly something is not working. Clearly, teams are figuring out how to play this, and you know you can't just blame it on good teams you run into every year because every year there's going to be a, a a team like you know the Lakers or, or the Warriors. So I I think they just need to start from scratch. And the funny thing about Harden is Harden has been even better the last couple of seasons. He's been historically efficient and amazing offensively, but those two tools he had in his game like earlier in his Houston career where um, some of the mid-range games, some of the more crafty moves that did not involve just Euro steps and three-pointers, <laughs> he doesn't do them anymore because they're just yeah. so committed to that system. And I feel like even though I know by all metrics he's better now, it's like his toolbox is... It's like a... You know what it is? It's like a toxic relationship where like you start <laughs> dating someone and then they're like, hey, like I'm into fitness, you should work out a lot. And then they work out too much and then they never want to have fun. They never want to do anything. All they want to do is be in the gym. And it's like, yeah, technically you're living a healthier lifestyle and maybe this is like a better way to live. But is this a really more enjoyable or high functioning way to live? Because you analogy. refuse to accept a carb, even though sometimes carbs could be good for you, just like mid-range jumpers. Are, are you trying to, have you been hitting the gym really hard lately or something? Is this, I don't know if you, is this a personal People can't see, but the <laughs> arms are kind of getting a little bit more defined. Um, yeah, I think, look, Westbrook is not an asset to the degree that I think merits, that he is, his uh, accolades and accomplishments merit. Even this season, like he was an all-star, he put up 27, eight and seven, like, but he's viewed around the league almost as a toxic asset at this point, frankly, No, um, play style plus contract. So you have to look at Harden. Harden is the crux of everything that they've done. He represents Maury Ball uh, to a T since 2012 when they acquired him. Um, and they've had a lot of success, or I shouldn't say a lot. They've had a decent amount of success with him, but... I kind of think he's got to go because Harden? he's the only way he's the only way you can get anything of worth back to really kickstart something different. The other guys you could trade, you could trade Covington, you could trade uh, Eric Gordon, but they're also fundamental to the style you want to play. So how can you trade Covington and get someone back that's better than Covington to fit your system? You're not you're not bringing back better players. For the system, for sure, um, right. But I think you, you got to get rid of Antony and just rebuild and reprogram Harden. Like I, I think because look, I see Jimmy Butler, right? And Jimmy Butler, not a great, has not been a great shooter the last couple of years, but he can buy a bucket at the end of every game. Why can't Harden do what Jimmy Butler does? He's got the strength. He's got the lower body strength. He's got crafty. He's got footwork, but. It's so hard for him at the end of games because it's the same formula and same playbook. Like, I don't understand why if Harden just if they change the system, he can still be a very good player, still very efficient. But can you change him at this point after this many years of I mean, like hammering? He's so talented, he has to be able to change. How about this trade, Harden to Minnesota for Carl Anthony Towns? If I'm I'm Houston, I wouldn't do that. Towns is a 50-40-90 Mori Ball wet dream. Can't build around a center. 
You just Westbrook, can't. Towns, picking and pick and pops all day. Westbrook actually plays center on offense because all he can do is live in the dunker spot anyway. I mean, Towns is – they didn't even crack the playoffs with Towns. Um, Towns, Jimmy Butler, that team cracked an eight seed. Like, that tells yeah, you Yeah, but they would have been – they would have been higher, but Butler got hurt. The one guy they needed on that team got hurt. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the problem. But they, right, they, is, they, Towns, is Towns and the number one pick too much? That's way too much. Houston doesn't even, like, entertain that. No, no, no. I mean, sorry, Minnesota doesn't even entertain that. Okay. All right. So that's somewhere in the middle would be the uh, proper trade. No, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't think, but Minnesota's not going to trade a guy like Towns because he's young. Well, he's he's getting showing James Harden. Yeah, but Harden's, if anything, he's going to be on the downhill slide of his career now. Harden and Westbrook for Embiid and Simmons and just like switch up the two headaches in the conferences. <laughs> And beating Simmons is like uh, Maury's nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> no spacing, no shooting. Oh, no, you trade Maury and Brand as well in this deal. Oh, God. Um, just right, relocating so, cities? Like, at that point, yeah. it's just like... I mean, Harden's tapped like, out the Houston strip clubs. Like, it's time for a move. Um, okay, place. speaking of Houston, should we... Daniel House... Um, where are we landed on that? Have we found out anything further than the reports that he was trying to bring a COVID-19 tester into his room? This whole situation, man, is super sketchy. I don't know what's going on because if you read the report, it talks about Tyson Chandler being involved. Um, apparently, the the woman confirmed that it was Tyson Chandler was there, but it was and someone else was involved, not named House. But the NBA says they have circumstantial evidence on Daniel House specifically. Then there's talks, you know. So first of all, we're not even sure if Daniel House is was actually there. Or there's who co- Daniel House is. <laughs> <laughs> all we know is that a girl uh, or a COVID uh, staff, COVID tester, entered the Houston Rockets hotel late at night and then left early the next morning. And it still hasn't been 100% confirmed who on the team she got in contact with. All we know is that the team was in a quarantine period on Tuesday before the game for like, what, a couple hours? And then it was like, all right, you're good to go. And so anyways, all this to say, Daniel House has been the, the culprit and the scapegoat, but nothing has confirmed yet that it was actually him, which is kind of shady. So two things I got to say. One, the idea that somebody would put the team in jeopardy at the point and like they're literally preparing for game four at that time, which is or game three, excuse me, which is like essentially a must win. And they had to quarantine instead of game plan or shoot around or whatever is is really beyond words. Second, if let's say it was Daniel House, I almost feel bad for him because he may not know any IG thoughts. <laughs> Like, is it possible he's not actually recognizable enough? He's not verified on Instagram. And so nobody actually knows to be like, yeah, like, I'm, I'll come in. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the problem. At some point, he's like, my only option is the the testing staff. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's like, I've seen them so much that I've fallen in love with them. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that you see him every day doing your tests. And it's like, yeah. you know, you can't help who you fall for. But look, at the end of the day, I I was right about 
the I, NBA was going to allow thoughts into the bubble because there are players who brought their model Instagram girlfriends, um, Kyle Kuzma, Tyler Hero, into the bubble. The ir- irony is Daniel House could have done that. And, it, I mean, it, like you said, maybe he couldn't because he, you know, he's not known. But he literally could have done that and he would have been fine. The problem is dipping into, like, you know, the – the pool of people already <laughs> on campus, which was a no He's going to be like, this is this referee I met at game six. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just want to like, also bring her in. It's like you're throwing it away for that. Um, yeah, no, I think it's this is this is like, remember when we talked way back when about how like, oh, the employees aren't actually in the bubble and therefore they're not subject to the same testing. It's like, yeah. well, it won't matter. They're not actually interacting really with with the players <laughs> and all this stuff. Um, all right. Before we go, let's chat about um, – I want to talk Nuggets Clippers for a second. Oh. Um, I want to say two things about Nuggets Clippers. One is when the Clippers are ready to go, I think they are actually unbeatable. Who picked – I picked them to win the finals. Did you, yeah, didn't but, you pick the Lakers? No, I, pick, I think I picked – I don't know. I've been picking you everyone pick once a week. I pick everyone <laughs> once a week. Um it's not like there's a Reddit page behind thick and thin. It was like talking shit about us and verifying what we ended up doing. Um, two. Do you think Nikola Jokic at this stage of his career, who's already been an all NBA guy, who's already been the best player on a top three seed in the West. Starts to deserve real star level criticism. No. No, because I don't, I mean, here's the way I look at criticism. If you're getting the credit and the hype and all the accolades, then you deserve the criticism when you fail. I, Jokic doesn't really register on people's radars like that. Like, yeah, he's, he's an, all-NBA an all-NBA guy. guy. He's an all-NBA guy, but there are a lot of all-NBA guys who aren't, you know, getting to the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, like... Like I don't, I don't see Jokic as a player who just warrants that criticism. I, I just don't think that any, anyone expected them to be to beat the Clippers. I don't think anyone expected them. The criticism comes when you fall flat on your face, um, and if they lost to the Jazz, maybe you could start saying stuff, but they didn't. And so I don't know. This Clippers team is just too good. There's no world in which they were beating the Clippers. I agree, but. There's also like a lot of late game situations where he's just gone. He's disappeared. He's playing passively. He looks like he's loafing around, just like whining for fouls. That type of behavior is not what you expect from your 1A. And like Jamal Murray, who, listen, I'm not doing a victory lap on him because he's getting guarded by like Beverly, George, and Kawhi simultaneously. But this was the worry about Beverly. It was, I'm sorry, about uh, Murray. It was a worry after round one where he had three. 40-plus games and three teens games. Um, but Jokic is the guy who night in, night out has been performing, even in the series. But my concern is, like, if this team is really going to go up a notch, it kind of has to be from him. Can he get there? If he can't, what's this team's ceiling? Is it second round, basically? I think it has to go to, I think, Murray. I think Murray is the guy who has to take it to another level. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's Jokic, man. Because, look, like the way I look at Jokic is, so take Marcus Gasol, for example, yeah. in those yeah. Memphis teams. Now, Marcus Gasol is not the same player as Jokic. Yeah, Marcus Gasol skews him he's seven no, foot Euro guy. He's yeah, he's a he's a no, not Euro. He's a big man. He skews more to the defensive side of things. Marcus Gasol is an All NBA player. The Grizzlies lost year in year out. You couldn't go to Marcus Gasol crunch time for a bucket. 
And you have a guy like Conley to help buffer some of that. And, right. you know, your team is good enough to kind of get you to a certain level. But I don't see anyone criticizing Marcus Gasol. So I think Jokic is a similar type of player where that's the ceiling for these guys. They're not going to be like, he's not going to be Giannis or even someone like Embiid who has much higher expectations for him. I think you got to rely on, if you're in Denver, you need Murray to take another leap forward. Like Murray was great in the Jazz series, but clearly once again in this Clippers series, he's being taken out of his game. He's kind of falling into what we've seen from Jamal Murray. He can't be that guy. He needs to be a consistent 25 a game guy for that team to be really good. That's constant. Not to bring my man Luca back into this, uh, farewell Luca. But is it more impressive at the ease in which he was scoring versus this vaunted Clippers team by himself? Basically, when you look at how many struggles Murray and the other perimeter guys have been having for Denver, hundred percent. Like that's how you know he's special. <laughs> he's literally carving up Kawhi and PG on every play. It's crazy when you now watch this in comparison because. Really, these are our first two samples of true Clippers, like we trying hard, we're actually going to show up for the games, like we know where the arena is type basketball Mm -hmm. that we've seen all season from them. Do I think they're going to take it up another level next series? Yeah, well, they have to. The the Lakers are obviously better than the Nuggets or the Mavs. But it's been telling to watch, I think, a lot of the guys – play in the bubble because when you strip away the fans, when you strip away the home court, when you strip away kind of everything that could create an external bias or external advantage, I feel like it tells you a lot about who guys are and who they're not. Um, You know, it's not totally fair because there's obviously still bubble factors. There's different things, but that's, what's been most impressive. I think when you, when you take a look back and like, Whoa, that was really, really crazy and special. Yeah, no, you're right. Because if you're you're an underdog, it's easy to take your game up a notch when you go on the road for game three, game four. You can have a couple of big games, crowds behind you, momentum is behind you. But when Luca's doing that in this bubble environment where you don't, you have none of those crutches. It's literally everything stripped out, and you just have to ball. Um, that's that's super impressive. One last thing I do want to say about the crowds. Uh, I, I was watching, you know, randomly on my YouTube rabbit hole. I went and watched highlights from Game Six, 2016 Finals, uh, where <laughs> yeah, I'm sure this was a rabbit hole, not your like top searched <laughs> item. I think it was the second recommended item on my uh, page, next to Game Seven and Game Five. But uh, literally watching that game, I don't know if you remember, but the Cleveland got out to a huge lead early on, and they just waxed them, uh, the Warriors. Yeah, And in that first half, they were throwing alley-oops left and right. And the crowd was just, I forgot. Like I, We've been watching this bubble basketball for so long. I forgot just how intense a crowd could be. And as a yeah. team that's down in a series, an underdog, it's a huge boost. And I, it's like, I miss that. And, and you're, you're spot on when you say, when you take all that out, like in that series, Mo Williams in that game hit like three big shots in a row. And you could see he was just feeding off the crowd energy. That's not happening. No. In the bubble, Mo Williams on that team is not hitting like big time shots, right? So, I, I think you it hurts a lot of these underdog teams because they're the ones who benefit from that. Even though you think the home court advantage means more for the top seats, like you're playing with a little bit more of house money in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the Mavericks were two two or the Nuggets were up in Game Three, about to go up two one, you start to get this real sense of like, oh, we could win. And yep. then you choke because you're like, I'm not ready for this. Like, yep. 
then you turn into what you know like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris were doing down the stretch in game three or Nicole Jokic just freezing in time um last time on the Nuggets Michael Porter Jr um where'd you stand on his thoughts as a basically a rookie to immediately be calling out his coach and team in public press announcements. It's one of those things where we all, I mean, there's some layer of truth to it in terms of the, you know, how the gay guys evolved. The last, that should not be coming from a player in public and that should not be coming from your rookie in public. And he was getting skewered on Twitter by like all kinds of NBA players. And if you watch the clip too, he just seems like a very cocky, arrogant guy. And obviously you added this on top of all of his, his comments and uh, COVID truther stuff. Like, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's not, he's got some growing up to do. Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, there's a, tr- a bit of truth to it. Just like there's a bit of truth to COVID being a me- means for population control, but we don't want to necessarily admit it you know what i mean it's like a very hard thing for us to publicly talk about now i'm just kidding about that um but so michael porter jr is a guy i've been high on ever since he f- was drafted one pick before the wizards selected uh last year's draft of course we came out later and said we wouldn't even draft him if he was there to just sort of like twist the knife a little bit but um he's special offensively there's no doubt about that uh, to be able to do this after like essentially a year and a half of layoff with the season he missed, then he played sparingly this year, and you didn't really even start playing a ton until the bubble. Um, he's special. Uh, from what I understand, I think the injury was the main concern, but there was some personality question marks, let's say. Yep. Um, I think when you get like the old school, like get off my lawn types as well as the new school NBA players to all agree on a topic. You've really done something powerful. And that's what happened with Michael Porter jr. Um, you had all the angry sports writers being like, nobody would ever call out their coach. But then you had like Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, and like all these other guys going in. Um, I thought it was dumb, but I also thought he was probably right. Um, and I think Mike Malone should be, close to being fired for playing Paul Millsap as much as he has when he looks like a fucking statue on the court. So um, if that means that Porter gets more minutes, great. If it means he gets benched for his comments, well, this is over in five. I already treat the series as over. Like right now, it's just going through the motions. Uh, at least the Rockets like can be interesting and look like they might be able to do something, but the Nuggets never felt like a real threat, even though they won that game. I, I think the second round was going to be so good. Yeah, and I, it's been all bad uh, except for Celtics Raptors, which also could have ended much earlier from one play change. So I don't know, man. I think Malone Malone has gotten a lot of criticism from Denver fans. Like I've been looking at their blog, like reading their blog and stuff like that. And um, he's taken a lot of heat. They barely squeaked by Utah. If they didn't beat Utah, like they wanted his head on a platter and they barely got by him. So, I do think he could be making some better decisions. But at the end of the day, Michael Porter Jr., like all these young guys, the funny thing is they're all normally very polished and PC and they know the right things to say. So it's even more jarring when he comes out and says something like this. Because yeah. De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, all these guys, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Zion, like they don't yeah, mess like up. Jalen Brown is over here like leading thousands of protesters yeah. in the streets. And we got Michael So Porter it makes it more Jr. jarring when Michael Porter says it. But Comes out as anti-vax. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm disappointed that three of the four series suck. 
Um, I thought Rockets Lakers would be a little bit more competitive. And like you said, maybe they'll win game five and suddenly I'll be like, whoa, that's yes, now something. But, you know, OK, let me ask you this. Let's assume the four teams that move on or five teams that we think are still alive. Right. Lakers, Clippers, Celtics, Raptors, Heat. How would you rank the likelihood, knowing what you know now, whatever predictions you've made, I don't care. How would you rank the likelihood of championship for those five? Clippers, Lakers, Heat, and then Celtics, then Raptors. Just because no, no. the Heat are already through? Maybe the Raptors. Yeah, no, not even because of that. Actually, even though that makes some sense, I think the Heat. I think the Heat would have a better chance in the finals than the Celtics. I think Bam um, defensively, and then they've got Jimmy Butler, who like I don't know. I would trust them more to somehow win. I think, and we didn't talk about the Heat. We're kind of saving that for when we actually have an op- opponent and they start playing by next week. But I think the Heat have the best player on the floor, no matter who they play. In the next round. Yeah. No, that, that's why I, I like them. Um, and Tyler Hero is sexy as hell. <laughs> the fact that you're a rookie, they're playing you crunch time minutes. They're drawing up plays for this dude. And he's playing really well. Tyler Hero is, and I saw a tweet about this, and I was like, oh, my God, this is right. He was what Kings wanted Nick Stauskas to be. Like, everything about him. Because Nick Stauskas... Interracial no, comparison. <laughs> I do that a lot. People, he was the exact same player at Michigan, like ball handling, taking the three, fearless. Um, you you know, know who I thought you were going to say? Who? I thought you were going to say Ben McLemore. No, Ben McLemore was uh, supposed to be Bradley Beal. Oh, got you, got you. Uh, no, yeah, that makes sense. Damn, but if anyways, you had like Hero like, and Beal in your backcourt, that'd be nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could have had Hero and Field. Um, but yeah, I, Tyler Hero is awesome, man. I, props to him. He's he's just so confident. That's my favorite thing about him. He doesn't shy yeah. away from the moment. And he's, that's the thing. It's not like it's not like uh, he's taking and bricking shots. Like you know, Kyle Kuzma's played okay, so I'm not going to question. But like you know, Kyle Kuzma would do that from time to time. Look the part, but then can't play the part. But Hero's actually playing really well and like. Dude, with him, Robinson, Dragic, Olinick, Adebayo, Iguodala, <laughs> Jay Crowder, who's shooting out of his mind, all around Jimmy Butler, man. I, that's, I love that team. Like, that's the team I'm rooting for the rest of the playoffs. So, All right. We'll see what happens. Anyway, so anything else to, to add before we sign off here? No, nah, man. I think this weekend's going to be exciting. Uh, some good playoff basketball and then – all the NFL games on Sunday, Tom Brady and Drew Brees squaring off. I'm hyped. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and then you have Dwayne Haskins, Carson Wentz ready to go. <laughs> Washington football team makes its team name debut. Um, uh, no, I think that's going to be good. The other good game I think that's that I'm actually kind of secretly excited for is Browns-Ravens. I think this is going to be a better season from Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some dude hype, the hype, and they've added talent. But all right, we'll see what happens. Everyone, check out Game Seven tomorrow night between the Celtics and Raptors. Uh, this is thick and thin. Please rate, review, and subscribe uh, on all major podcast platforms. Uh, please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week.